Hey everyone, welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, pastor of that location, and it's good to talk to you again. You know, when we were kids, we were teenagers, what other people thought about us really made a difference in how we lived our lives. And if we're honest, as we get older, it doesn't really change that much. We still care what people think. And especially when it comes to our faith, it can really impact how willing we are to live out our beliefs in public places. Well, today as we continue in our series in the Gospel of John, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus tells us why we should be confident in living out our beliefs no matter what other people think about us. Gene Breitenbach, member of Mount Hope and one of our missions partners, does an excellent job walking us through this passage. So I hope you listen closely. I hope you enjoy this, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Morning. Um, There are scriptures in front of you in the seats. Um, If you turn to John 15 or in your favorite electronic device, um, if you're taking one of the Bibles that's new to you, this will be page 902. And um, this won't hurt at all. Now, if I was sitting in your seat, I'd be nervous now. The only time I've ever heard that phrase is from a dentist or a doctor right before they hurt me. They're lying, and I brace myself. Five years ago, I had my first uh, doctor's visit in Boston. I had moved to Boston six years before, but just neglected to uh, choose a physician and get a physical. I don't recommend that to anyone. I went in because I had pneumonia, and the nurse came in, took my vitals, temperature, blood pressure. She quietly left the room, and in about a minute and a half later, this doctor that I had never met before came in and informed me that there was an ambulance that had just pulled in down below, and it was for me. I had an amazing blood pressure at that particular moment. Uh, He was expecting something to explode at any moment. It turned out that, um, unbeknownst to me, because I had not had a physical in five years, that I had a heart valve that when they did an ultrasound, it looked like a piece of tissue paper blowing in the wind. My life expectancy had moved from years to days, unless something was done. And what had to be done was open-heart surgery and removing that valve. And as the doctor talked to me about it, he did not say, this will not hurt at all. Instead, he said, this will hurt a lot. If you don't do this, you will die. But you need this done and it will hurt a lot. And as he talked to me, he prepared me for the pain that was to come, what to anticipate, how to deal with it when it occurred. And he assured me that after about four or five months of pain like I seldom experienced, it would be gone. And my life wouldn't return to normal, but I'd feel a lot better than I'd felt before. And sure enough, he was right. It hurt a lot. Every day, multiple times a day. And in the end, I felt better than I had felt 
for years. The result, I'm not dead now. In the last few weeks, we have been looking at the Gospel of John in a portion where Jesus is letting his disciples know that he is about to leave them. And that causes a lot of anxiety for them. They don't know what's coming next. They don't know what to expect. This is not what they anticipated. And so Jesus spends considerable time comforting them and preparing them for what is ahead. And part of that comfort is that Jesus prepares them and warns them that it's going to hurt when he leaves. John 15, beginning in verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, The word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hate me without cause. Martyrdom seems like an old-fashioned word and an old-fashioned concept. But the 20th century saw more Christians die for their faith around the world than any other time in human history. With the rise of of Soviet communism and Chinese communism, of the rise of Islam in in Islamic fundamentalism in the modern age. Around the world, people gave their life for Jesus Christ. Not just missionaries going out knowing what they were in for, but converts. On campus today, when I have an Islamic conversion, I know that there's a huge cost to pay. I have known students whose parents have put out death contracts on them. Fortunately, that can be fulfilled in two ways, by killing them or declaring them dead and never seeing them again for the rest of their life. Both are costly. To be honest, though, most of us don't face death for our faith every day. That's not the pressure we feel in the West. We face ridicule, belittlement. We're told that religion is responsible for all wars. Go to your history books and find out what caused the wars of history. There's a lot of opinions 
that are commonly held by people that have no basis in fact, that being one of them. Every time someone does something vile in the name of God, we're lumped in with them. Even though every secular humanist is not blamed when one of their own acts irresponsibly, and history's full of that as well. We're seen as resisting progress, promoting injustice as bigots and hate mongers. Whenever we oppose someone, something we're talked about now as having a phobia, a mental illness. It's not a rational thing that we have thought through with God. We are just defective. And why? Because we follow Jesus. Americans, by and large, and we, we just need to really accept this. This is the world we come out of for most of us. Americans are insecure. We are driven by peer pressure, polls, and public shaming. And it has been that way almost since our founding. Keeping up with the Joneses, what do the neighbors think of us? I can remember going to school with that new shirt that I had worked all summer to get, and it just took one comment by somebody that was derisive, and, and I, I never wore it again. It stayed in my closet from that day forward. We care what other people think about us. We're concerned about that, and today it's become more and more public. Social media has turned into a arena of public shaming and peer pressure. MIT twice now has hooked up a learning computer to the internet to learn from social media and in both cases they had to unplug the computer because it became psychopathic. Too much pressure, too much shaming and that was the lesson that the computer learned. People who are uninformed have formed negative opinions about the one that they don't know. Biblical literacy is at an all-time low. Even, unfortunately, among the church. If we want to be informed, we have to go to the source. We have to learn what's actually written there. But there are so many negative opinions built on things that never happened and things that were never taught in Scripture. We're not in danger of shedding blood on a daily basis, having our blood shed at least. It's words and opinions we face, and it would be tempting for me to say right now, so buck up. Stand tall. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And I'd be lying. I grew up in this environment. I'm sensitive to this. I feel this on campus every day. God has called me to an arena that since I've been there for the last 35 years has always been prejudice against Christian thought. Words have an effect on us. Fear is real, but fear robs us of our freedom. It manipulates us. Insecurity drives us apart. 
as we try to hide who we are from the people around us. And this culture right now, anxiety and depression are epidemic among 20-somethings and younger. And I believe that most of that comes from insecurity. We're in an environment where if you let people see who you are, it's probably going to show up on Facebook the next day. Trust is low. And people are driven by fear. We're also told in Scripture that that's what drives a lot of people away from Jesus. For a lot of people, we look at John at the very beginning, and when he tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us, he follows it up with what I think is is one of the most insightful sections. That the light has come into the world But men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. And I think we can add, and they're insecure. They don't want to be seen for who they are. And they would run from a cure to protect themselves. And that's the situation we find ourselves in. That's the situation that Jesus knows the disciples are about to find themselves in. So how does Jesus prepare and encourage his disciples? He gives them three things. I'm not going to share them in the order that Jesus shares them in for, for convenience here. But Jesus gives them a heritage. He gives them a birthright. And he gives them a destiny. First, he gives them a heritage. In John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Already past tense. Jesus' actions, his confrontation of error and evil, the life that he lived overcame the evil that came against him. The future is past. In terms of our future has been established in the past. Jesus already overcame the world. And he starts with that with his disciples. He says, people will hate you, but realize this is the new reality. I already won for you. I've already walked down this road. And if you follow me, you will win too. Because I have already won. Hatred is not the end. Hatred's power is limited. And the question is, are we going to cross the finish line with Jesus? Because he's already built it. He's already passed over it. And he's given us the invitation to join him on the other side. Secondly, we're given a birthright. John 15, 26 and 27 says... But when the Helper already establishes the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I'm going to skip down to 16 verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. 
And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sends me and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And again, in a little while, you will see me. Jesus didn't abandon us. And it's important. It's not true that Jesus is no longer with us. He's right here in this room in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who is fully God, fully a person, and fully here on your side. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is looked at as kind of like Casper the wispy ghost in the corner, having little power in the rest. This is God. If Jesus were here today, he couldn't be with us all over the world as we serve him. But the Holy Spirit is. And what Jesus hasn't prepared us for, the Holy Spirit prepares us for now. Where we don't have strength, the Holy Spirit brings strength. Where we need comfort, he is our comforter. He is our guide through the situations that we face. And most of all, I think, he is in it with us all the time. We never face anything by ourselves. I spend time with the Holy Spirit in private so that I will know his voice in public. I spend time with the Holy Spirit in private so that I will know his voice in moments of trial. Don't wait until the moment seizes you to start trying to figure out his voice. He is available to you always. He's there to guide you always, to take time out of each day to go to scripture, to pray, to get to know his voice. You'll begin to hear him much, much more often than you expect. In times of witness, in times of accusation, the Holy Spirit will come to me and give me words for that moment. Give me insight. Give me instruction. There are times that at first I have no clue why I am supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to say something very specific or go to a very specific scripture. 
I say that or read that scripture and suddenly something bursts out in the other person's life that I had no clue was there. And ministry takes place. We need to take that time to get to know his voice because he is with you always. We sing sometimes in worship, come Lord Jesus. Theologically it's incorrect, but I understand what we're really saying. What we're saying is not Holy Spirit, come, because he's never far away from you. Everywhere you go, he is there. What we're really singing is, God, help me to focus on you, to recognize you, to hear you, to respond to you. And that attitude is perfectly appropriate and why we still sing those songs and we will continue to sing those songs. He is with us. And then third and last, Jesus promises his disciples a destiny. John 16, 20 through 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for, the, for joy that a human being has been born into the world so also you have sorrow now, but, you will, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in my Father's name, I will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. God has secured our future and his promise is whatever pain and suffering and opposition you go through, that sorrow will turn to joy. And childbirth is a great example. Having a kid includes nine months of discomfort. I have not experienced it directly, but I've had close observation. The last three months are really a pain. Just sitting down and standing up, you suddenly need help. Someone else in that last month needs to put your shoes on for you in most cases. And then there comes the delivery. And I know from the pain that Lynn inflicted on me that her pain was greater. But it turns to joy because there is something accomplished in that miracle, there is a child there, there is a human being there. And whatever it took to get there, it was worth it. And a woman is willing to go through it a second and third time, which amazes me. But they do that because of the joy that waits on the other side. Now, I have this peculiar situation where, uh, for some reason, every 10 years on my birthday, I pass a kidney stone. I have been told that the pain is, by, by pregnant women, have gone through the process. The pain is one step above childbirth. It's like stuffing a bowling ball through your kidney. Now, I take joy in the fact that I know there will come a moment when it passes and I don't feel any pain anymore. No. I'm relieved by that. I take joy in nothing about a kidney stone. 
I would not choose to go through and have another kidney stone ever again in my life. Because going through all that suffering, there is no accomplishment at the end. You just got rid of waste out of your body. It didn't accomplish anything. But childbirth accomplishes something amazing. The pain that we experience, the opposition we experience, is never for nothing. Other people get to experience the joy of Christ because of what we go through. You know, the people who are the most obnoxious in my life about Christ, I have learned to rejoice about because they're really close to Jesus at this point. You don't stay up late at night thinking ugly things to say about Jesus or Christians. What kind of insult can I say next? Unless something is going on in your life. People who don't care, don't care. They have no opinion. They don't say anything. But the people who do, God is confronting them in some part of their life. Their insecurities are being threatened. There is peace and joy and love and acceptance on the other side, but they don't know that yet. But I know I came in kicking and screaming. It was not easy for the people who shared the gospel with me because Every time I heard the gospel, it threatened my pride. It threatened my ego. It threatened my fears. And so I fought against it time and again. And I know I was a pain in the rear for the Christians around me. But I believe it was worth every moment because they gave birth to new life in me. And to see that change take place. These disciples who are so insecure at the moment, who need comforting, they need to know that what they are doing makes a difference. That this is like childbirth. They will die before they see how big the work is that they're doing. But the gospel grows exponentially from this point on. And for each person, person that becomes a child in Christ, they learn real love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Their fears are transformed, and they become a bigger part of the solution. Jesus doesn't lie to us. We will face opposition. It hurts to be a follower of Jesus Christ because it hurt to be Jesus. But Jesus took that and changed the entire world and is basically telling his disciples, and so will you. You're involved in something that's worth every moment of opposition that you experience. We need to embrace that heritage. Jesus has already won the battle. We need to embrace our birthright. The Holy Spirit is right here, right now. Closer than anyone else could be to you. Learn how to listen to his voice. Learn how to rely on his strength. And we have a destiny. We have the promise of Jesus that your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your pain and suffering will never be forgotten. Jesus keeps a record. And he will 
come back with reward, with joy. As we end, um, there'll be a final song. The worship team can come up. Um, You know, some of you are tired of the opposition. And I understand that. I have periods. The end of last year, I was tired of opposition. I really seriously thought becoming a hermit might be the best thing I could do for a while. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit had other plans. But we want to be able to pray for you if you're in that position. See, we're not only in it just with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit ties us all together and ministers encouragement and strength through each other. So the Holy Spirit is never a a me and the Holy Spirit thing. It's me and the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit works through. And so let people pray for you if you're feeling that right now. It's not a weakness. It's just a reality of the fight that we're in. For those of you that are enduring middle school, high school, and the beginning of college. This too will pass. I was shocked the day I graduated from high school. We had all of our cliques. We had the socias, the nerds, the jocks. I was a nerd. And the day after, the last day of school, everybody was my friend. Because all those groups, all those fights between people, all those put-downs were masking everybody's insecurity. I remember one comedian um, shared that when you're 20, you worry about what everybody thinks about you. When you're 50, you could care less what anybody thinks about you. And when you're 70, you suddenly realize nobody was thinking about you in the first place. They were just like you. They were worried about themselves so much. And so don't be trapped by other people's opinion. And then some of you were lied to. You said becoming a Christian wouldn't hurt. Everything would be rosy from this point on. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't lie to us. It's tough at times. And for those of you who didn't expect it, some of you may be wondering if it's worth it. Maybe be thinking of walking away. But Jesus has a way to work us through the pain. And I would encourage you to embrace that. Embrace his truth and not the easy, rosy-colored lies. Jesus knows it's hard at times, so he gives us a heritage, a birthright, and a destiny to get us through. He has secured the future through his past. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And he has not forgotten any of us. Your sorrow will turn to joy. And so as we sing this last song, as I close this part, as, as we sing this last song, we'll have um, Marvin and Jen and Avin and Kathy will be in the back to pray for anybody who needs prayer. We'll have the front open for anybody who needs prayer. Jesus gave these things so that we would lean on them. So let's make sure we lean on them. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
each week that we gather. We do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.